This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Oh my God, he doesn't flog the dolphin before a big date. Are you crazy? That's like going out there with a loaded gun. We are. I mean, listen, Easter's great and all, but, you know, our family, my family lives, and so does yours, farther away. Mm -hmm. And so it's, like, really super fun for the little ones. Yeah. I think it's, like, a... If it's not a religious holiday for you, then it's definitely more of a, like a kid's holiday. Although I can get down on some Cadbury eggs, so I'm never mad you when know, Easter time rolls around. I, I don't know what it is one. that I didn't get. One I didn't this get year. one yet either. But I like to wait until tomorrow when, when they're, they're on all sale. on sale. Yes, yeah, that's so smart. <laughs> um, okay, so but I have a question for you because this is something that Adam and I have uh, different um, upbringings with. So for Easter, okay. Okay, I'll just ask you the question. Did you guys go hunt for your baskets, your Easter baskets, or were they just downstairs in the morning like the Easter Bunny left it? So we, basically the Easter Bunny always left our baskets um, like at the foot of our bed. So when we woke up, it was like, it was the first thing you would see. But we would also then do like the Easter egg hunt outside. Yes, okay, yeah. So this is him as well, not right by his bed, but like downstairs or whatever, you know, much like um, like a stocking or something. And but for us, that was like the hard. It was always hidden in the hardest place. And we had we were really lucky growing up. We had like a, you know, a huge backyard. So it was always like either in a tree somewhere or like all the way down the acre down by the fence or something. You right. Know? So that's it was like awesome. Big, it was. A, so that's what I was thinking it was all about, because, you know, it's all my experience I ever had. And so we did it his way this time. Last time we did it our my way because. My sister was here, and so so my sister and I, yeah. that's all we know. So anyway, uh, but I was just wondering. And then so it was like a bit of an early morning for us that in that way. I bet. Yeah, I remember being very excited as a kid to, to wake up and tear into that Easter Yeah, basket, and they're like so. eating the chocolate bunny, and I'm like, I'm just going <laughs> to let, let this happen. happen. God help us all. <laughs> and plus, my kids are just like, I feel like they always have like a drip, like a nasal drip. I'm just like, who is... We're just giving them tests every single day. It's so stressful. Whatever. It's fine. It's, it's fine. But, you know, candy's not good for you when you're sick. So, right. I just you're like, can you worry. eat less candy? I yeah. know. I'm like, do I give them? Anyways, don't want to bore you with my. Uh, give them carrots stuff. and be like, it's the, this is the holiday that celebrates rabbits. And we're going to eat like, rabbits today. Very smart, actually. Why didn't I do that? Um, <laughs> that's good, though. I hope everyone out there had a nice whatever you celebrate Passover yesterday, uh, Easter today. I think Ramadan's coming up. If you don't celebrate at all, yes. I hope you had a nice weekend. We just love you guys. It's so happy. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to, I know. you know, not be back be with at my it. Kids. We <laughs> took we took a week. <laughs> we took a week off because Vanya got to go on a yeah. really fun family vacation, and we decided right. don't schlep all of your recording material. Let's just take a week off. Which I do appreciate. Hopefully, you know, y'all know we have 105 or so or more uh, episodes. Yeah. So there's some backlogging people can do if you're new to the show. Which I do appreciate everyone listening yeah. out there and all of our new listeners, by the way. We've got yes. some, a couple people in India. Hello to India. Um, some people in Ireland. Hi, guys. It's nice Hello. to see you. A few Australians out there. We've got our Amazing. good old Americans and Canadians that have been mm-hmm. our backbone here. Um, but yeah, just it's good stuff. Happy, happy times. Welcome back, Rom Crime, after a week of spring break. Spring break. So I worked. <laughs> good for you. Uh, no. Was it crazy? Was it like because no, you work in a kind think, of a club? I work at kind of a club. You know, I, it's, it's a 
isn't Coachella happening right now? Unfortunately, I'm the wrong person to ask. Yeah, I, I, don't know. I feel like it is. I'm not sure, but it was actually kind of a, I attributed it to the holidays, but it was a very slow week. Okay, I see. Yeah, is what it is, you know. Yep. I got home earlier every night than I usually do, so that was great. Yeah, a little extra street sleep. That's my goal in life, man. Um, well, you know, okay, so coming to the decision of which rom-com we did this week, I was, I almost did one with Chris Mm -hmm. Rock. He is in a, he's in a rom-com called Top 5. And when I watched the trailer, I might still do it at some point because I wanted to kind of like put a focus on Chris Rock, Rock, Chris Rock, rather than than Will Smith. has been in the news lately, if you didn't know that. Yeah, but I just like, I was like, let's focus on him instead of Will Smith and whatever. Um, The trailer looks good. It's called, yeah, like I said, top five. But I, in the end, I was like, you know what? People have heard that enough. I think that everyone. Right. I feel like, yeah, Yeah. I think it's been talked about a lot. So you're welcome. Uh, So we decided not to do that. We're going to do a classic. One of my favorite movies um, of all time, though, has problematic uh, things as comedies are hard because they Mm -hmm. they don't always last the test of time. And some things that are funny are maybe insensitive and whatnot. So we are covering or I'm starting out this episode of Rom Crime covering There's Something About Mary. Yes. I feel like this is our first raunchy rom-com. I know. It's true. Well, these guys, the directors, Peter and Bobby Farley, 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 they are brothers and they kind of do this genre where it's like a comedy, but it's like there's all the gags are like, you know, gross out, gross out. Yeah. Yeah, it's gross out humor. Like, there's so many things in this movie that you watch and you're just like, whoa. It's so true. The visuals. So it came out in 1998. And in 1998, I was, I was, you know, just out of high school. And I love this kind of stuff because I'm a child in my, I'm I'm basically like a middle school person in my head, like comedy wise, even now, even today. Sure, yeah. Jokes abound. I'm not sure if anyone follows me personally on on Instagram, but. That was hilarious. The note your kids take after you. I asked them. Okay, so if you didn't see it, what happened was I found a note on my like little area where I'd put my makeup on and it's the cutest thing. It says to mom with a heart, love Mimi and Calvin. Those are my kids. I'm just like, oh, this is so sweet. I open it and it just says poop, poop poop with about 30 o's and then a picture of like a steaming pile of poop as only like a kid can draw right, the emoji like, the pooping emoji shits. <laughs> just, I mean, literally listen, that's me, so cute though hilarious it tickled me deep um but so anyways i do like the gross out humor a little bit too so i really like this movie at the time it stars cameron diaz of course she's She's, Mar- she's Mary. She's the titular character, Mary. Everyone is obsessed with. Also with Ben Stiller, Matt Dillon, Lee Evans, and Chris Elliott, who is like the king of gross, gross humor. Gross humor. Yeah. He's, he's in all. Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek. That's right. I almost, this is why I almost had a problem watching Shit's Creek because I was like, Ooh, I don't know if I can handle his like nasty, just yeah. really I had to push, I had to push through that too, actually, where I started the first episode I think three different times and I was just like I don't know which which now like in hindsight is insane to me because it's one of my I think it's one of the greatest shows of all time and I've watched the whole thing at least twice I know but it took me three three tries and I think it was no I'm so sorry Mr. Is it? Wait, what's his Elliot, name? Chris Lo- Elliot, right? Chris or- Elliot. I almost just said Christopher Lloyd. Chris <laughs> Elliot. Another person. Um, but yeah. A different different actor. Um, but yeah, it's he's so gross in this one. I know. Just and all he the does, skin he does stuff. A lot, the skin stuff. He does a lot with his mouth. He's like, I can't even do it. Like, I can't. It's just gross. Anyway, so <sighs> all these men that I just named, they're all playing men that are in love with Mary. Um, here's something interesting and actually kind of interesting to me. It had a $23 million budget, which is like a lot, but it made like $370 million in its like opening weekend, making it's like the fourth largest comedy to ever, yada, yada, whatever, who knows. I also think this is interesting. Cameron Diaz was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Actress. She's pretty fantastic. I mean, she is, but I'm just like, you never, and I think this is me like self-hating comedian, but like they never nominate people so it's just like I didn't know that until I read that when I was covering this so good for you Cameron I know you didn't win but good lord way to be nominated it's like she's just a bright light in this movie I think Um, she's like the only normal thing in the movie 
But then also they've made they've you know they've created a female character that's like a man's fantasy very obviously yeah. so yep 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 but very she, true she's um she's very very charming and funny and delightful um I agree and to start off I just want to read a little bit of Roger Roger Ebert's um his review what I, I kind of enjoy it it was written in 1998 so he says what a blessed relief it is laughter. It flies in the face of manners, values, political correctness, and decorum. It exposes us for what we are, the only animal with a sense of humor. There's something about Mary is an unalloyed exercise in bad taste and contains five or six explosively funny scenes. Okay, five explosive, one moderate. I love it <laughs> when a movie take, con- takes control, sweeps away my doubts and objections, and compels me to laugh. I'm I'm having a physical reaction, not an intellectual one. There's such a freedom in laughing so loudly. I feel cleansed. Ooh. I think that's great because that is true. I mean, you know, I'm sure he's always... No, I'm not sure. Yes, the man was always reviewing things and really have to thinking what? and like to actually be taken out and being like, are you effing kidding me? Because there was there's some scenes as hopefully people... Spoiler alerts, we're going to talk about these, these crazy scenes yeah. that are just like beyond shocking um but actually and they do you kind of laugh without even realize like it it happens organically like it's so outrageous and so over the top and so funny that you're like oh my god I mean I just I rewatched it uh for this episode because I hadn't seen it in a long time although I've seen it many times and I was I was like this movie is just freaking funny mm-hmm. and disgusting. And I love Matt Dillon. He kills it. I mean, oh, my so God. Many are good He's in this. so good in it. He's so good in it. I They're mean, all good. Ben Stiller is amazing in this. So, okay, before we get into it, I would love to play the uh, trailer for you all. Are you going to the prom? I, I don't. Yeah, I think prom Because I thought maybe um, dumb. we could go together. Oh, you're going to go with like a bunch of people? Or, <laughs> yeah. You want like a designated driver? I no, no. <laughs> I mean, you and me. We could go together. Do. <laughs> <laughs> When I was 16 years old, I fell in love. Oh, no, I... No, no, I was... Ow! We got a bleeder! Are you okay, Ted? We got a bleeder! It was definitely love. I want to marry again. I mean, crushes don't last for 13 years, right? He couldn't help it. Hi, it's Ted! I haven't seen you since, uh, since... Senior prom, I guess... <laughs> How's everything? Oh, that's me fine. Strong like blue. <laughs> and he couldn't explain it. You hired me to find your girl, and I did. And then the truth is, I, I started to like her. Because there's something about Mary. She's still a fox. Mary's a fox. She's a fox. When a guy who can play 36 holes and still have enough energy to take me and my brother to a ball game. <laughs> this year. It's too bad you don't live here, Ted. 20th Century Fox presents If Puppy likes him, then you got yourself a keeper I'll slip that pooch a special treat He doesn't like anybody He never usually likes guys A new comedy Come on, boy From the Fairley Brothers Directors of Dumb and Dumber and Kingpin Would you like a little clam dip, doll? Whatever Cameron Diaz Matt Dillon Ben Stiller Okay. Hell is wrong with you. All right. There's something about Mary. Are you the little guy making all that big noise? Huh? Puppy. Oh my God, that's that one's so more funny. of like a visual. So some of the things uh, that we see in that one, you might we'll talk about. But oh my God, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's so funny. Um, so Ben Stiller's character Ted uh, is it's so we start actually in 1985, and we're Ben Stiller's. So Ted is 16 years old, and he's taking Mary to the prom. And mm-hmm. she asks him. It's a whole thing. She broke up with a guy, and she just you know she liked him. She liked him because she he defended her her brother who is um, disabled or what do what do we say like um, differently abled? He's differently my, abled. Yeah, because or I I don't know actually what the proper terminology for that is yeah because we don't know we don't know what 
um, what the brother has uh, or what is different about him. We just know he's a little bit different. And mm -hmm. kids make fun of him. And uh, anyways, then Ted sticks up for him and gets his ass kicked and then proceeds to give the brother, Warren, a piggyback ride home. And Warren's like maybe five times the size of Ted <laughs> home. <laughs> and so anyways, in that, Mary was like, you're awesome. Do you want to go to the prom? So they're on their way to the prom. He has to go to the bathroom real quick. He's in his suit. And I mean, this is the inciting incident of, I guess, uh, well, not not the entire thing, but he gets his scrotum stuck in his zipper and it's a whole and like big time and, and they it, show the scene it. goes on and on and on. I remember that was how the do they describe thing. it? Like it's like are is the are the beans over the frank? Yeah, it's <laughs> or so something. funny. And then they show it, which is you don't expect the first time. You in see between, the movie. it's like when your dress gets caught in a zipper and there's like it's real gross. Okay, and so he's whisked away to the ER, and so we don't really know anything. And then all of a sudden, it's 13 years later, and he's talking to his best friend. He's still obsessed with Mary. He's or not obsessed. He's right. just like he still loves her. He was. He he loved her. She's the bright light. And he was like, I really wish that I could have, you know, reach out. How she, I wonder how she's doing. And his good friend, Dom Waganowski, uh, Chris Elliott, is like, you know what? You know what you should do is you should just hire a private detective to go find her. And he, he was like, you know what? Yeah. OK. Yeah. So he hires a private a PI who is mm -hmm. Pat Healy, played by Matt Dillon. And, and isn't he a claims adjuster? I think or so. Or something. Yeah. And they're like, those are the best private detectives or something. <laughs> like I mean, he's like a shady dude for sure. So he yeah. goes down, he he tracks Mary all the way down in Miami, Florida. And she's actually still absolutely stunning. She's an orthopedic surgeon. Her brother mm -hmm. is in her life. She's like killing it. She's She know, loves to play golf. She loves to play golf. <laughs> she's a sporty gal. She's smart. She's funny. She's got a rock and bod. She's Cameron Diaz, yeah. so she's very <laughs> she's pretty. She's everything we've ever, we ever wanted to be. Um, and as Pat Healy stalks her, he becomes infatuated with her, going so far as to getting dental implants. Like he gets crazy. Oh my god! Because she mentioned because he's listening to you know through the walls. He's, eaves yeah. he's eavesdropping, and she's like, "I just love a big smile." So he tries to become everything that he hears her say. So he gets these crazy dental, oh, and implants. it's hilarious. That's a great reveal. It's a great comedy, and. Then Pat returns to Ted and lies and tells him she's just a mess. She's got four kids. She's like, you know, 600 Let herself pounds. go. She's, yeah. herself. she's got, you know, three different guys. She's on welfare. All these things that are like, you know, he's the whole time Ted's listening. He's like, oh, oh, God, I, I he is genuinely like, I hope she's OK. I, yeah. And so he kind of like leaves that such that talk and was like, I guess I probably should leave her alone. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Leave, leave her alone. Like. But of course, then Pat Healy quits being a private detective and, mm -hmm. and you know, claims adjuster to mm -hmm. fulfill his his like stalking routine and full obsession with Mary himself. Like he moves down to Miami and Florida yeah. starts dating her. And as they date, he becomes what he thinks she wants him to be an architect who's a philanthropist with lots of money. Like, what's that thing? It's oh, that happens later. Um, so enter the picture. Mary's very good good friend Tucker who's a British architect who's this he he has like a um he had an accident so he has like a limp he, he, right and he met Mary because she was his surgeon that's right pediatric surgeon too so that's funny um but yeah so but he's he's been in her life a long time and there's a whole moment where he's like um where do you travel or something like that? He's like, I help these keys. He's like, all these Nepalese coins or whatever. He's like, where do you travel? He's like, uh, well, have you been to Santiago, Chile? And he, she, he's like, twice last year. So he's like playing yeah. it off that he knows uh, Chile. Anyways, Pat, um, it, it is revealed that, or to, sorry, wait, Tucker, who's the British architect, tells Mary that Pat is a serial killer who's been lying to her. And so Mary like breaks off with, breaks it up breaks up with him and and Pat tails Tucker and he finds out that Tucker is also a fraud and not not what he said he was a British architect but a pizza delivery guy who's like yeah man eh. <laughs> um, and he's also obsessed with Mary so we've got mm -hmm. two of those and in the meantime Ted finds out from an old classmate that Mary is a fox and she yeah and nothing like what pat no. told him and he realized that he lied to him um he, she's successful she's gorgeous and and then ted decides you know what i'm gonna drive down 
to see Mary. And because Ted is such a nice guy, he picks he picks up a hitchhiker, hitchhiker which I think y'all know we do not pitch up, pick up hitchhikers. We do not hitchhike and we do not pick up hitchhikers. That's right. Who, it's our PSA. <laughs> exactly. This hitchhiker leaves a dead body in his car at a rest stop. And as he's like going out to the, go to the bathroom, it's like a raid on, I don't know, people having sex in the bushes. This is where I'm like, is this, I don't know, is this, are they making fun of like gay people? I didn't, I don't know if that's good. But anyways, he ends, Ted ends up going to jail for the murder of for this person guy in his in the car. Trunk. Yeah. But. His best friend or his friend Dom, um, remember Dom, he convinced him to hire the PI. Uh, he bails him out, which is nice, right? And then Ted makes it down to Miami and begins dating Mary. Plot hole after plot hole. You don't just get bailed out for committing murder and you leave the state. <laughs> I was thinking about that too. I know. I was like, wait a minute. Um, and so he's about to go on his date with Mary. He's really, really excited. He's genuinely excited, um, Ted is. And he's talking to Dom, and Dom's with him. And he's like, you know, you should probably you probably want to rub one out before you go on this date. You probably don't want to just go into this date like all. It's funny. Like, I was very not uh, experienced in any way in 1998. And I just remember thinking, are guys like, you know. Constantly about to ejaculate yeah. all over the place? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And as you get older, you learn that, yes, yes, they are. I guess so. <laughs> so you know what? Ted's like, okay, all right. So he takes... Right, he'll just be more relaxed, be more right? Relaxed. If he just doesn't have all that pent-up, you know, sexual stuff That's happening right. downstairs. So he finds the bra section of a Sears catalog and does it. And after he ejaculates, he's like, where did my cum go? And he can't find it. So he's... And then she knocks on the door and he's like, oh, oh, God. Um... And maybe the most famous scene, I think y'all know, Mary, mm -hmm. she thinks uh, that. Uh, so it's, it's actually hanging off of his ear. That's right. She, is where his uh, his cum went. Yep. And 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 she grabs some of it dangling from Ted's ear, uh, fingering it into her bangs. Because um, she thinks it's gel, hair gel. And the goo, it hardens and her little fringe is straight up. And that's one of the famous scenes where she's at the restaurant yeah. with him. They're having a great time and she's got uh, cum in her bangs. Yeah. And her hair's sticking straight up in the front. And I do remember thinking, that's so crazy. It's hilarious. But also now I'm like, that's fucked up, man. I would be like, if it was my uh, semen, I'd be like, okay. You need to take that. Here's out of your the hair. deal. Yeah. That's that. Don't put that. Don't touch that. Let me get you a tissue. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, things are actually going well. They're dating. Um, you know, he is sympathetic to her brother Warren, and Ted even shows how good he is. Um, you know, by by hanging out with him, and he has. So Ted has hope. It's gonna happen. This is good. This is actually it was all his dreams are coming true. You know, he he knew that him loving her for this long was meant to be. But Mary receives a letter um, explaining, uh, exposing Ted and how he hired the PI. And now he's just another one of these dicks who's... Who's lying to her because he's obsessed her. with her. That's right. Um, but guess who gave him up? Ted's bestie Dom. Because it turns out Dom has been long obsessed with Mary and was her overbearing boyfriend back like in the high school days. And she kicked him to the curb in high school. Ted and Dom didn't know each other back then, by the way, because I feel like that's kind of like a... Oh, and by the way, Mary has a restraining order against Dom, known as Woogie, I guess. And that's when oh. uh, it just gets like, I don't know, you could... It, it's when this is Chris Elliott just really killing it. I know he's a good actor, but my God, it's almost too good. He's like losing his mind and having like a psychotic break and having... He's got hives that are like... Um, what did I write down? I, Chris Elia is going he's crazy, committed actor. Um, he breaks out in disgusting pussy zit, pussy zit hives is what I wrote. I didn't mean to write that, but I'm pussy, like, pus, pussy, pussy zit, <laughs> pussy zit Fanya, hives. Ew, That's the name of you? our episode. It's uh, pussy zit hives. <laughs> and he corners Mary in a room and all of a sudden Ted Norm is AKA Tucker uh, and Pat arrive and then in a strange turn of events, Ted truly wanting Mary's happiness, he um, he realizes that the only person that wants to be with 
Mary that has not lied, cheated, stole, manipulated, or whatever, was her ex-boyfriend, Brett. And we find out that Brett is Brett Favre from, mm-hmm. from the Packers, you know, and, or I don't know if he's, but back then he was on the Packers, the football team. And, but Ted reunites them. I know I've skipped a couple of other funny scenes with like the dog right. and the, and the neighbor and the lady neighbor. and the tanning. Oh my God. Also, but yeah, like it's funny because in the, in the beginning of the, yeah, that's a, another one of those like, oh my God, where you just don't expect to see that. Um, exactly. But uh, in the beginning, she's like out to lunch with her friends and they're like, you know, what about Brett? And didn't one of the stalkers actually tell her that he said that he that's would have right. married her a long time ago? So one of the stalkers lied to her about Brett Favre. It was Tucker. Favre, Tucker Favre. said that yeah. he was mean to Warren, which her was brother. untrue, which was untrue. And mm-hmm. so after Ted reunites them and he's leaving, so he they're together. He's walking away. And it's really one of my favorite scenes. This is Ben Stiller kills it. He's like sobbing hysterically. Hysterically, like a child, like a child walking away and you see them in the frame and Mary catches up with him and says, I'd be happiest with you. You know, she she wants she'd rather be with him. And so they kiss and it's the end credits. And guess what? We see the serial. They don't tell us, but they see the serial killer in jail. And I assume Ted is exonerated. Everything's fine. He's happy. (laughs) All the inmates sing the buttercup. Fill me up, buttercup, baby, don't you let me down. That's so funny. Ben Stiller must really like that song because isn't that also in uh, Zoolander This when they're having the uh, gas pump fight? No. Where all of his friends die? Aren't they doing uh, that to that song? That's a different song. It is. Oh, my God. I've seen that song, that movie so many times. I have to think of that. But it's a different song. Okay, it's not that song. Okay, no, it's for some reason I thought it was. But I love I. But I love this song, and it's a cute ending because it's like all the people singing this song. It makes me think of a musical or a com. You know, where in a big musical production, the ending is mm-hmm. like everyone. Yeah, the finale. finale. It's the finale. They're, they're bowing, and we see everybody, and so it's a joyous occasion. Yes, maybe somebody's not getting married, and then the last thing we see is the guy who Magda. Magda's the old lady. He, she's his her neighbor, which is her neighbor. She's she's stooping this man, this old man, and throughout it, we there's like a group that's like the narrator that who sings. He's sitting in mm-hmm. a tree, and the um the guy who's effing Magda, the old man, sh- is trying to shoot uh, mm-hmm. Ted because this old man is also obsessed with Mary. So like Mary's just got something about Mary. People are obsessed mm-hmm. with. Her. Which is not like the greatest uh, thing. Like, don't stalk people. But this movie is fun. It's funny and disgusting. And it's really just like it. Like what Roger Ebert is saying is it just allows you to just let go. And you're like, oh, we're going to see some crazy shit. So I'm just going to go with it. So, yeah. Yeah, Something about um, Mary. Very, very funny. And the scene where um, it's Pat Healy, Matt Dillon's character, right? Where he has to like perform CPR on the dog that he... (laughs) accidentally killed um <laughs> which is magda's dog because magda is also kind of she's the neighbor but weirdly clearly like one of mary's besties because she's always around yeah. and she takes stock in the you know like mary says like if magda's dog doesn't like a guy that must mean something's wrong with them so you, know, you can right. hear all that in the trailer but there's just some very funny like the dog steals the show a couple of times i thought it's true it's true yeah it's true and very it's fun. It's very fun hilarious. i love i love um how Ben Stiller's character is really just like kind of an innocent. It's like the only one, even Warren's not an innocent, you know, like. Right. That's right. Ted is the only innocent character in it. And, uh, uh, you know. And his all his whole wins. life was thwarted by a zipper. Oh, my God. But he gets the girl in the end. Oh, my God. And the par- her parents and that. Uh, like, just <laughs> so worth it. Funny. They're good. It's good stuff. <laughs> it's a great movie. All right. So for the true crime portion of this rom crime episode, I clearly had a lot of options with this because yeah. they actually, you know, there is a serial killer in this movie. There is multiple stalkers. Uh, I went down a couple of different avenues and I was like, was there ever like a private eye that, you know, like committed murders mm. or did, you know, commit? Had to, I didn't find anything specific. It was more about private eyes like helping people catch killers and I was like eh. yeah <laughs> I did actually google I was like has has like true crime woman stalked by four men just to see if there was oh, anything yeah. there I nothing came up I nothing came up for that one so then I did my old uh telltale you know thing where I just tape type the name of the movie true crime and I came across a story that I feel like I I don't know if I've ever heard of it before um 
I did listen to two different podcasts that covered it, but there's not a lot of true crime podcasts that have covered this story. Uh, it was featured on an episode of the, the original way back in the day, hosted by Robert Stack, Unsolved Mysteries. Ooh. So this, I'm going to tell you the story of the murders of Mary Morris. And our episode can be called There's Something About Mary Morris. Oh, interesting. All right. So on October 16th in the year 2000, after burying her mother, Marilyn Blaylock called the Houston, Texas coroner's office to see if she could get her mom's personal belongings back. Marilyn's mom, Mary Lou Morris, had been murdered just four days earlier on October 12th. But the coroner's response left her daughter Marilyn confused and temporarily horrified. The receptionist told Marilyn that they still had Mary's, uh, Mary Morris's body and that the personal belongings could only be retrieved after the funeral. Now, remember, she was calling after her mom's funeral. So she has this moment where she's like, did we just bury the wrong body? What the hell? Luckily, that is not what happened. But strangely enough... Um, the coroner's office made an understandable mistake in saying this because they did still have the body of Mary Morris. It was just a different Mary Morris. What? And this Mary Morris, Mary McGinnis Morris, had been murdered just like basically a couple days after Marilyn's mom, Mary Lou. And that's Mary McGinnis Morris. So two women with the exact same name turned up murdered in similar fashion within days of each other. And... This becomes this this mystery. Is it connected? Is it a bizarre coincidence? Um, how how does this happen? Now remember, this is Houston, Texas. It is a very large place. So I'm going to tell you, you know, kind of like the story, and then we'll go through the theories, and then you and I can talk about what we think maybe is happening here. So early on the morning of October 12th, 2000, Mary Lou Henderson Morris leaves her home in Baytown, Texas, to drive to work a little earlier than usual. Um, she was, uh, she worked as a loan officer at Chase Bank. She'd worked there for 15 years. Um, the bank was about 30 minutes from her house. Her husband kissed her goodbye and says he watched her drive out. She actually turned, uh, right because she was going to go to the gas station first and then go to work. Um, and he didn't know that that was going to be the last time that he would ever see her. Hmm. So Mary Lou Morris was a happy, well-loved woman, according to her friends and family. She lived with Jay, her second husband of five years, and she had her adult daughter Marilyn from her first marriage. She had a very youthful spirit. She was, you know, always going somewhere and doing something. She also was really big into horseback riding and gardening. And she had these, like, not famous in the sense that they, they were famous, famous, but she had these beautiful rose bushes in her in her garden that she was extremely proud of and that everybody was always giving her compliments on. And um, one of her tricks that she had there is that she actually, you know, when you're a horseback rider, you also have to muck stalls. But she said that horse manure was the very best fertilizer for plants. And that's why her rose bushes were so beautiful. And she took a lot of pride in that. So on a normal day, Mary and Jay would speak several times throughout the day. Like he'd call her at work. She'd call him from work. They'd chit chat, you know. Um, but on this day, Jay can't get a hold of her. Every time he calls her work phone, it keeps rolling straight to voicemail. And then around noon, Jay receives a call from one of Mary's supervisors at work because Mary is also she's worked at this bank for 15 years. She would never just not show up without calling. Um, so a supervisor calls, asks uh, Jay if Mary is home. Jay says, no, Mary is at work. And now this is, I find this, and so does the other people whose podcast I listen to. I find this very strange. So the supervisor calls, asks if she's home. Jay says, no, she's at work. And apparently the supervisor just says, okay, thanks, and hangs up. Never says, no, I'm actually her supervisor and she's not at work. Mm. And um, he never thinks to ask, like, may I ask who's calling or any of that stuff. And I just... I find that very weird. So the there's a couple of schools of thought here. Like one, maybe maybe Mary uh, Mary supervisor thought, oh, well, I'm not going to get her in trouble. She if he thinks she's at work, oh. and she's not. But she wasn't that kind of person, yeah. you know. And then some people are like, maybe things in the marriage were bad, and they didn't want like Jay to know she wasn't there if he didn't know that because they might get mad at her. So there's a lot of people that just think this is a very strange interaction. If you were a supervisor calling because your employee no call, no showed at work, and then the husband says, no, she's at work, she's not home. Like, wouldn't you think like 
she could something could have happened here, especially yeah. if she's not somebody who would do this. So I just find this whole phone call very weird. I wonder if the supervisor was kind of a dumbass and was like, oh, maybe she is here and I don't didn't see her. I mean, how big or is that? The space, yeah. You know? I mean, it's a chase bank. So I guess I don't know. Some of them are bigger than others. Yeah. Um, but at around 5 p.m. after still not being able to get a hold of his wife, Jay calls the police and reports her missing. And then he calls her daughter, Marilyn, who immediately rushes over to their home and the two of them decide they're just going to drive around and start looking because like maybe her car broke down or maybe, right. you know, something happened. She Because she had, strangely enough, even though it's 2000, so cell phones were not exactly like, you know, they are today. But on that particular day, she had left her cell phone at home plugged into the charger, which was, according to her daughter, very unlike her. She mm. took that thing with her everywhere. But that day she didn't have it. So if she had broken down, she wouldn't have been able to call for help. Okay, so around 10 a.m. on this same day, so before, you know, she's been reported missing, uh, police do receive a phone call reporting smoke coming from, like, a remote area. Uh, And apparently they were like, okay, and nobody went to check it out because uh, people burn trash or burning leaves or they just, it, it didn't seem weird to them, so nobody was dispatched to go, like, check it out. And then later on, around the same time that Jay and Marilyn decide they're gonna go looking, um, the police receive another call, and this time the caller uh, said that they'd been riding their ATV down a remote road, and they came across a car that was like fully ignited, like on fire, and the fire looked like it was threatening to spread to areas around it. And the person who came across this also said they thought that th- there might be somebody in the car. So police immediately rush to the scene, and they identify the Chevy Lumina as Mary Lou Morris's car. But the body inside was so badly burned that it would take days and dental records to identify the remains as Mary Lou Morris. Oh, that's so sad. I know. And due to how badly she was burned, they were also never able to determine the cause of death because we assume the burning was like to cover it up, Mm -hmm. not like that that's how she died. Um, But because the, uh, the fire had burned so hot that there are a couple things here. It burned so hot that they know that there was an accelerant used, but they... Um, don't believe it was gasoline because gasoline burns too quickly to like get that hot before it would, you know, then burn out. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that some other type of um, accelerant might have been used here. Um, and so they can never determine her cause of death, but they know she was clearly, this is foul play, this is a homicide, but they, they're they struggling now, police, to find a motive because Mary had no enemies that anyone knew of. And a robbery seemed unlikely because there were still pieces of jewelry that she wore um, in the car and on the body. The only things missing uh, were her wedding ring, and they couldn't find her purse, but that could have also burned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then also additionally, both Jay Morris and um, Mary Lou's ex-husband were ruled out as suspects, leaving police with like no idea where to look. But then things were about to get even weirder because just four days later on October 16th, uh, Mary Morris was found dead. An entirely different Mary Morris who shared that name and was also found on a remote road in her car. Um, Now, Mary McGinnis was found 25 miles away from the first crime scene and just like Mary Lou. So that's how I'm going to refer to them. Mary Lou, Mary McGinnis. Got it. Um. Sorry, I just lost my place. Okay, so she was found in her car by the side of the road, and her wedding ring was also missing. So initially, it kind of looked like maybe it had been staged to look like a suicide. Uh, She had died from a gunshot to the head using a weapon that uh, was registered to her husband that he had recently given her, which we'll get into. Um, But there was a lot of evidence to suggest otherwise. Her clothes had been torn. There were bruises on her wrist that suggested a struggle. They found fibers in her mouth, which showed that she was likely gagged. Um, And the the passenger side door was open. The keys were outside the car. So immediately, they're like, this is a homicide. And then also, I'll tell you how they knew it was a homicide. So Mary McGinnis worked as a nurse practitioner. She was 39 years old. Um, She oversaw several clinics for a pharmaceutical company called uh, Union Carbide. And on the day of her death, she met her friend Lori Gimmel at one of these to give her friend an allergy shot. And then she was going to run errands um, 
but she randomly called her friend who had seen her at the clinic while she was at an Eckerd's drugstore and said, like, they were just chatting. But uh, during the phone call, she mentions that there's some there's a guy that's kind of creeping her out that she feels like is following her. Um, and that she's like, he, he looks kind of familiar, maybe even. Uh, only 15 minutes or less than 15 minutes later. So this is about 530. Um, she calls 911. Now, this 911 call has never been like released to anyone but like the police investigating. So no, no one's ever heard it. But it's described by Detective Wayne Coleman from the Harris County Sheriff's Department. Um, he says, we're not releasing the content of the tape. It covers the attack that happened to Mary. And anybody that's ever heard that tape has just had their blood chilled listening to it. It's a very chilling, disturbing call. So police actually, she calls 911. We're assuming, you know, like somebody, she's found in her car, so she was clearly like abducted or carjacked or what somehow taken in her vehicle. She manages to get 911 on the phone call. And clearly on this call, you you can hear her get killed. Um but she doesn't ever identify the person, so that would suggest she doesn't know who they are. All she says, one thing that was revealed is on the call, she says, they're trying to kill me. They. They, which means uh, some people are like, does that mean multiple people? But uh, other people think, you know, maybe it was somebody wearing like a ski mask That's and you true. don't know if it's a man or a woman and you don't, you know, so they don't know. But she clearly was not able to identify her killer. And her body was discovered, as I mentioned, several hours later on the side of the road with her wedding ring also missing. Okay, so now, because also I think of the call to the coroner's office, Marilyn immediately is like, what What the hell is going on? What do you mean there's another Mary Morris in the coroner's office? And so people start to talk about this. Like, yeah. what could this be? What a strange so you've got, you've got two. Yeah, you've got two women with the same name who live in Houston. Now, Houston is huge, and these women did live, you know, 25 miles away from each other, a solid 45-minute drive away. So it's not like they were, you know, living on different blocks in the same neighborhood. Um, but it's a lot of coincidences. And then also the fact that they were both found in their vehicles. They both had their wedding rings stolen, which then started to basically get, like, armchair detectives out there thinking yeah. that this was per- perhaps, like, a contracted hit that right. went wrong. They got because the wrong people think they <laughs> Like they, they they killed the wrong Mary Morris. Also on the on unsolved mysteries, her friend Lori Gimmel, the one the second Mary McGinnis Morris been, had been seeing and then speaking to right before she yeah. was killed, said that uh, somebody had called the Houston Chronicle in between the murders and said uh, they got the wrong Mary Morris. However, that was never confirmed. And then I listened to this podcast. It's like three parts. Um, it's called The Prosecutors, and it's really fascinating. And they actually have interviewed some of these like the surviving family members and apparently they reached out to the Houston Chronicle and that actually didn't happen Uh so that's one of those weird things that's been treated as fact that actually is as unconfirmed but true and it's actually not true got it um but that really starts to like start the wheels turning that this was like a so Mary number two Mary McGinnis was like the intended target but they accidentally killed the wrong Mary Morris and um you know, people are just like uh, convinced that's what's going on here. Because in the first Mary's murder, they can't find a motive, right? As I mentioned, she has no enemies. She's not involved with drugs or gambling or anything dangerous. There's like no reason that somebody would murder her in such like a kind of horrific way. Um, so it must have been a case of mistaken identity. Okay. But the second case of Mary McGinnis Morris offered a little bit more to to chew on, if you will, in terms of suspects and motives and stuff like that. So there was a couple of suspects police looked into. First was one of uh, her co-workers. He was um, a fellow nurse practitioner. His name was Dwayne Young. And apparently they had like a real volatile relationship. Uh, They didn't like each other. Dwayne was like always trying to smear Mary's reputation. And um, he reported her for like incorrectly filling out reports um she they uh she basically came into her office once and all of the pictures in her office had been placed face down on her desk and she went over to his office to like confront him about like what are you doing like don't go in my office don't touch photos of my family and saw and again this is hearsay this is what Lori says that mary told her is that she saw written on a calendar on his desk death to her um and so she was concerned, 
Eventually, he his like harassment of her leads to either his getting fired or being forced to resign. He disputes that. He said that the job had an end date when he started and he just left. Um, but there was an incident where he was like outside the building, like banging on windows and screaming her name. And he was escorted off the premises by security. He maintains that he was there because he needed to get her to sign something. But he, since he didn't work there, he wasn't able to enter. And he was just trying to get someone's attention and that this whole story has been blown into something it's not. He's also very active on true crime message message boards because he didn't participate in the Unsolved Mysteries episode and they clearly like put him up there as a potential suspect. And so I think he felt the need to be like, uh-uh, uh-uh, I, I'm, I'm gonna have my say. So he was like all up in these true crime forums, you know, pointing fingers other places. So Mary is so frightened by her coworker, Dwayne, that she asks her husband if to get her a gun. Um... So he does. And he, you know, kind of teaches her how to use it and tells her, just keep this in in your car underneath your driver's seat, you know, and then you'll have it with you if anything should happen. And this is the same gun that she is shot and killed with, the gun that she borrowed from her husband for protection. But who is always the very first suspect when somebody is killed? It's always the husband. The husband did it. The husband almost always did it. So he is also... You know, he's more of a suspect, actually, than Dwayne, the co-worker. And there's a couple reasons that he's suspicious as well. So at the time she was killed, he says he's at, he was at the movies with his daughter. But he won't let police... His daughter was like 14, I believe. He won't let police speak to his daughter. He also immediately gets like lawyers up and refuses to do a polygraph, which they all think is very suspicious. I say it's very smart because you are going to be accused. Or you're going to be looked into if you're the husband or the spouse, the significant other... Uh, the lover of a, of a murder victim and they have to look at you because it's the most likely that you're involved so I don't actually think it shows that you're guilty because you get a lawyer and you don't want to take a polygraph test because those are unreliable anyway you know and yeah. and you don't want them talking to your traumatized daughter who just lost her mother I think that there's like a, a a way to see that as highly suspicious and then a way to completely explain that away but there's something that I I think does make him a very possible candidate so let me find this part. All right. Police discovered that um, Mike and Mary had been having marital problems, like fighting a lot. And he believed that she was cheating on him with like a friend of theirs. But he had confronted them, both of them. And they both said, no, that's not happening. And he said that he believed her and that they were working on like repairing their marriage. But... They also discovered on phone records that at 7, like a little after 7 p.m., there was a four-minute call. This is an hour and a half after she called 911, so presumably she's already been killed. There's a four-minute phone call from Mike to Mary's cell, and he says it's a glitch that he called, and it just rang, and he let it ring for four minutes, and no one ever picked up. Like, do you ever just sit there and let a phone ring for four minutes, and do cell phones even ring that long? I don't uh, think so. No. Um, and the phone company is like, if, he, if she hadn't picked up the phone, uh, there would not even be a record of the call. Right. It's only when it connects. And so he's like, it's a glitch. I, I, I called. That's a mistake. But a lot of people think that he was calling to check in with the hitman he hired to see if the job had been done or to see like where things were at, what was happening. Again, we have no proof of that, but I do find that uh, incredibly suspicious like do phone companies make mistakes like that can there be glitches like i don't know i don't really understand how that's his excuse and that seems to hold water um so even though those are two very very you know i would say like likely candidates with motives and issues going on uh they're they're never arrested both of these cases are unsolved still unsolved mysteries yeah um you know, people think that it could have been the life insurance policy that was why Mike did that. But that we find out that life insurance was her daughter was the beneficiary, not him. Um, he, you know, technically has an alibi in his daughter. Um, all of her family, Mary McGinnis, Morris and friends, really like point the finger at Dwayne. But again, that makes sense because why would they want to believe that their, you know, dad or son-in-law or whatever would be capable of this um but something that also was weird is that several months after 
one of their friends came over and the ring, the wedding ring that had been taken from Mary McGinnis, or they thought taken, her daughter was wearing it. And so then some people point to that and say, well, that just shows that the hitman gave him the ring as proof that he did the job. And then what, he gave it to his daughter? So he says that she probably wasn't wearing it that day. They were, again, having marriage issues. So maybe she wasn't wearing her ring. Um, but they did go to the police with that information. Okay. So we've got our two suspects. Um, again, no arrests, nothing solved. But is this a freak coincidence or is this connected? That's like the the kind of the crux of, I think, people's fascination with this story is like, is this just one of those truly weird coincidences? Because Mary Morris is not a super uncommon name. Like Morris is a common name. Mary is a common name. I know Mary I Morris. Don't, yeah, I don't know how many Mary Morrises were living in Houston, Texas in the year 2000, but I guarantee you it wasn't two. You know, um, and there's another couple of weird things about Mary Lou that it, a lot of people immediately when they talk about this, they just start to say Mary Lou Morris's murder was an accident like made by the world's worst hitman. Uh, and I don't think that's true. I don't think I don't think that's what happened. I think that doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you be like, just look her up in the phone book? Yeah, you because Mary Lou of- comes before Mary McGinnis. And they did look kind of similar, but there were there was a 10 year age difference uh, from a distance. Maybe they both were um, white ladies with short, permed, b- dark brown hair. Okay. So maybe from a distance, you could think they were the same. But like when you look at them side by side, you know, they look like two different people. And you would know um, if you were hit, being, having a hit, you'd know what car they drove, right? Probably. Yeah. You think. You would. And so here's another weird thing that is discovered about Mary Lou, uh, Mary Lou Morris. So that would be the first Mary Morris. So a couple of months after her murder, her husband receives a $2,000 bill from her his deceased wife's phone card. So they track the phone card to a 16-year-old teenager in Galveston, Texas, who says they found the phone card in a purse that had been just like left on, you know, like on the ground outside of a gas station. And they were like, well, do you have the purse? And then the teenager said, no, I gave it to my friend, though. So the friend gives the police the purse. I mean, I guess they were like, we're just going to keep this stuff we found. Um, and then the family is like, that's not her purse. And so why is her phone card in not her purse in Galveston, Texas, which is, you know, a different town, but not super far away. So again, people think, did the hitman come from Galveston, Texas, where he lives? And he like threw her bag, you know, out at a gas station. But again, not her purse. Like apparently she had a very distinctive Junie and Burke purse that she always carried. Mm. Um, and this was not not a bag that she would have had. Um, also, Jay received several and by several, sorry, I mean, three phone calls from a mysterious caller who kept who would call him like late at night, like once at 9 p.m., once at midnight, once at, like at 11, asking if Mary was home. And so he told police, he told police, finally, they were like, the next time, if he calls again, give him this number to the sheriff's department and say, you can reach Mary at this number. So he calls again, he gives him that number and, and the caller's like, oh, okay, and hangs up the phone. They're able to trace it to a payphone at an apartment complex, but they cannot ascertain who made the calls, if they were just crank calls. Um, and I just, this to me, this story is so it's so weird because there are so many, I mean, is it just that there, cause here's a couple things that I think point to the fact that, that, you know, maybe, and again, I don't want to accuse anyone of anything, but that like, this could just be that two people were killed by people they knew. So right. all we know about Mary Lou Morris's last day is what Jay told us, which is her husband, that he she got up early and left to work, but first she went to the gas station. Her car was found three miles from their home going the opposite direction. So if that's true, that would mean she was basically like abducted at that gas station. Um, but the call about the, the smoke came in at 1030. That's like four hours later. Weird. So what was happening there? And the la- And, you know, that nobody knows she was at work the day before but there's nobody that saw her that evening so there's a chance you know like maybe that's not how maybe she was already dead yeah maybe jay put in that car and another thing that points to some people who believe that that's what happened is that uh apparently horse manure is an accelerant fertilizer you know you make bombs out of this stuff and that the type of accelerant used in that car fire 
would have to have been some type of like slow burning but super hot accelerant and horse and fertilizer manure. Those are huh. perfect examples of that. And she kept buckets of that stuff in her garden. So no one ever talks. About, I mean, that's why I loved this three part thing because they like told the story how it's always told, which is that like a hitman did this or that's what people think, even though police are like, no, this is a weird coincidence. Police have never, ever thought that these were connected. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I do think it's possible that like the first murder of Mary Morris might have incentivized the murderer of the second Mary Morris okay. to be like, oh, I could use this sure. to like confuse people um, or vice versa, that the first Mary was killed and then they're like, well, kill another Mary Morris. Again, it all seems like a plot out of a, yeah. a crazy movie. Um, and so I'm just kind of curious, like another thing that, I mean, Jay remarried within the year... He had a very good relationship with his stepdaughter, Marilyn, but basically after her, he like moved on very quickly and that kind of soured their relationship, yeah. like sold, sold all of her stuff pretty fast, remarried within a year um, and they don't really speak That's anymore. That's weird. Mm-hmm. But he had an alibi uh, for he went to go like see a man about a horse because um, <laughs> they were, you know, horse people. Uh, but if his story before about what happened with her going to work and all that isn't true then the timeline is totally different yeah. and the alibi doesn't matter um and so the prosecutors podcast they really do they're like these are solvable cases like they need to go ask some questions like did you talk to the supervisor that called jay it, or did you just take him at his word that somebody called and he assumed it was someone from work you know like there's a lot of things that could be followed up on yeah hmm. uh I do think that it would, I mean, I don't know. What a what a nefarious plot, though, to, like, murder somebody to cover up the murder of another someone with the same name. If that is what happened here. I don't think it was a case of mistaken, like, a hitman took out the wrong person. I don't think that at all. I think that's really highly unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> but I also can see why no one's been arrested, too, because it's like nothing is really concrete and there is no way to, like, I don't know. What do you think, Vaughn? I'm, I don't know. I think maybe the first one was the husband and the second one was the guy who didn't like her at work. I don't know. Right. Or it was just the husband in both cases. Yeah, exactly. Because that's usually what happens. Because Dwayne, one of the arguments for Dwayne not being the person. And Dwayne's is the it like most, other nurse Dwayne's the co-worker. Oh, yeah. The, the, yeah. So most people who kill people, uh, they don't like get involved in the investigations unless we're talking a certain type of killer like serial killers that do stuff like that but like somebody who kills someone they knew you know that's most people like leave town and so the fact that he is so desperate for the police to solve this to clear his name and he's constantly like you guys need to like look into this again blah 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 blah. a lot of people see that as kind of evidence that he's not responsible he also claims that they they did kind of have like a, a tense relationship at the end but that they had been very friendly co-workers for a very long time like she'd been out on his boat and she they'd been at holiday parties together and he's like this picture that we were like enemies you know screaming and ruining each other's careers he's like it's not true he, she was upset with me because i reported her for like you know not filling something out correctly um, and things got tense. I quit my job. I was not fired. You know, so he he basically suggests that the pointing fingers at him is a way to, like, take attention away from who really did it. Well, guys, if you have any so, ideas, let us know. Because yeah. this is a pickle. I mean, like, I really I think what the the podcast you were talking about saying to open the case again or do some more digging. Then right. Maybe they should. Yeah. Because they're definitely, yeah, anybody, if we have any listeners in Texas, specifically Houston, Texas, you should definitely, I don't know, be like, you guys need to look into this. It's been 22 years and these families need closure. And then the internet needs, you know, to finally be told that there is not some (laughs) really, really, really incompetent hitman out there. Um, Which is a possibility. Yeah. I mean, there was never any weird money stuff, right. which is why, yeah, yeah, it's like there's no there's no contracted killer. And you know what? If she was killed with her own gun, wouldn't that suggest that somebody knew the gun was in the car? Ooh, that's another you know, one. but then some people say, well, what if she pulled the gun yeah, out to try to, to defend herself and they got it away from her because she wasn't like a practiced, you know, gun? I don't know. I find this to be a crazy mystery that should be solvable. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, gosh. Well, there is just that, something about Mary this, Morris. There is, I mean, so insane. And sad. There, I watched the, uns- and so sad, you know, like two two women or girls lost their moms, you know, yeah. and 
and you know always innocent until proven guilty so at this point two men lost their wives you know and mm-hmm. it's just people lost lost their loved one and it's it's frustrating when justice is never is never yeah. served so i do hope that this case will be solved um and that those who committed these crimes will go to to prison for the rest of their lives i agree yeah. Well, guys, thank you for listening this week. Yes, this is, we're happy to be oof, back. Yes, me too. Spring break is fun, but it's also nice to get back in the routine of the world and all right. the things. You're like, it's good when my kids are not out of school. I know. It's, I mean, <laughs> and here's the thing. I bet my son's going to have to stay home tomorrow, and I'm going to have to try to work around that. And guess what? It's mm-hmm. okay. It'll be fine. And you will. You'll figure it out. But we love you, Rom Criminals. Yep. And we will see you next Tuesday. Bye, guys. Bye. Long cry.